I'm going to preface this rumination with two quick points. Number one, if you are a big fan of this game or of this series, I should clarify, uh, do me a weird favor and don't watch this video. <laughs> Second point. <clears throat> yeah. I have gotten uh, a considerable amount of backlash from fans of games when I do ruminations of certain games because I just don't really like those games. That's understandable. I do get that. I really do. I'm not trying to call anyone out. I'm not trying to be defensive or anything. It is just a simple truth. And I've realized that what I want to start doing is identifying those videos more clearly. You know, there's, there's your typical ruminations, which are games that either I already liked or I enjoyed going through. Like Valkyria Pro Chronicles, I never played that before, but I really liked going through it, right? Then there's the games that I didn't like, but I was still requested to ruminate on them, and I am honor-bound in order to honor those requests. So I went ahead and did a rumination on them, played through the game, DS version, for anybody who's curious. And, uh, yeah, was just like, alright, let's do this, let's make this happen. Um, but I didn't like it because I didn't like this game. And I'm, again, starting with this, because if that's going to influence your opinion, or if you want someone to just universally praise this game, then you should probably look elsewhere. But I say this because, and I've already got a term for this, I want to call this an outsider's perspective. I'm, I, I'm still going to analyze this. I'm still going to try and give my thoughts on the series, or the game, excuse me, from that outsider perspective. Okay? Now that we've got that out of the way, I've got to be honest with you, my first thought when I started playing through this game was the Phoenix Wright series. And while I haven't gotten into the Phoenix Wright series all that much, I, I do enjoy that style of gameplay. In fact, funny story, uh, this game is not something completely unknown to me. In fact, this game was something that was tossed at me. And the reason I had access to the DS copy rather than picking up the PC version is because a friend of mine, uh, Gary, I've mentioned him a few times, was searching around for a good puzzle game. And this is one of the ones that came up alongside the aforementioned Phoenix Wright series. So this is a game I've actually known about for a while. It just never actually came up to the point where I could actually sit and play it, right? So I was like, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and try this thing out. Uh, the second thing I was reminded of was Saw. This is kind of a test to see how many of you are still watching this. Now, I have been informed by fans of this game that I should not compare it to Saw. And I'm like, okay, but... I mean, however, getting further into the work and doing more uh, of it and getting more in-depth to it, I, I do agree that that's an unfair parallel. There's an older movie that most of you have probably never even heard of that really, I think, fits the bill a bit closer. Anyone ever seen the movie Cube? Or The Cube? I'm not sure which. It was like a 2006 movie or something like that. It came out a while ago. But uh, that's what I was reminded of a bit more. See, here's the thing. The puzzles, puzzles are good stuff. There's some really great puzzle design here. And the writing is pretty top-notch overall. But this game does two things that I actively don't like. One, it gets weird. Uh, I have described this type of thing as anime in the past and have been insulted for that statement. But it, I'm just going to... The term I've kind of started shifting into it is weird for weird's sake. I don't like this kind of metaphysical, multi-timelines stuff. You know, I look at that and all I can think is, well, I have nothing to say about that. I, there's nothing to think about. There's nothing interesting to me personally. I'm not saying it's bad. In fact, actually having played through this game twice, the requisite to get the true ending, I did use a guide, by the way. 
I was in a bit of time crunch, so I, I played through once normally, and then I was like, okay, pull up the guide. Ah, this is how I get the true ending. Appropriately, I needed to play through twice to get the true ending anyways, so who knows. Anyways, so the game is good. I'm not in any way trying to say that it is not good, but it is very, very coffee to me. This is a huge coffee situation. It's not even that actually anime. It's just kind of weird. And it's gory. Not visually, arguably worse than visually, because all you see is like a bunch of blood splatters on a, on a background. It's nothing big, right? But then the game goes out of its way to describe in surprising detail exactly what your character uh, is looking at, what Junpei is looking at, and, well, I guess I should say what a cane is looking at, but you get the idea. And so I'm just sitting here like, why am I reading this? And it got to the point where I started skipping through some of those things because I just, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to hear that. Okay, okay, okay. That's why I originally compared it to Saw. Again, I will admit an unfair comparison, but this really does feel like it has that classic horror element of excess gore. And I don't really know how to explain excess gore other than just by saying it's something that's in a lot of horror movies and it's something that I don't like. You know, violence? Violence I'm okay with in, in moderation, but this is just... Ugh. So, now that I've established that uh, this is not my thing for two separate reasons, let's go ahead and talk about the game proper. I do want to talk about the gameplay in brief, because I have to say the way they present the gameplay and the multiple playthroughs being a good thing and the multiple endings and the multiple paths and the, the overwhelming wealth of dialogue that happens depending on which doors you pick or which order you do things or whether or not you talk to the person to learn about you know the, the Ice Nine or whatever. Uh, or out, not the Ice Nine, the... Uh, the all ice. God, I can't think of what it's called. It's something like that. But anyways, that's good. That's great, in fact. I would go so far as to say that I really wish this was a game that I enjoyed because there's some great stuff there. I very much enjoyed um, what was effectively a truly branching story that somehow simultaneously manages to not penalize you for doing everything just right. Because like a true, if anything, the game the game style I would most appropriate this to would be a roguelike, a good roguelike, the kind that doesn't penalize you too heavily for failing or for going down the wrong path or whatever, and a roguelike that enables you to start over and do things in a slightly different way in a slightly different perspective each time. You know, I, on on my second playthrough, it was just like burned through the game. I actually had to, I was having a hard time reading as fast as I was getting, you know, reading the walkthrough as fast as I was getting through the game. And that's good. That's a legitimately good thing. If this was more my thing, I probably would have sat or, or even kept playing off camera and just tried some of the other routes. Because I know there's multiple endings. I looked into some of the other endings. Oh yeah, by the way, some people are probably going to be wondering, which ending did I get the first time? The axe ending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, one of the things that I do, so obviously the puzzle design is something that encourages you to think, but, uh, there's a lot of out-of-the-box thinking, there's a lot of loophole abuse, and at first I was wondering if it was an aspect, like, if it was deliberate or not. Having played the game through the true ending, I could say definitively that it was a deliberate thing, since it makes sense that ultimately this is a life-or-death situation, but not in the traditional sense. I mean, they're out in the frickin' desert, right? So, it's actually quite logical that this 
is not nearly as bad as it looks, and as such, it should be easier to solve. Like, usually when you have some kind of trap, puzzle, torture room thing, like Saw, like Cube, uh, there's another one I can't think of the name of off the top of my head, but when you have something like that, the usual path, writing-wise, is to have it so that no matter how clever the people are, the person or people involved in controlling the situation are always more clever and are one step ahead of them because they're more sadistic, because the whole point is to punish or kill or torture or whatever. Here, that was never her goal. I'm not saying she's a good guy, by the way. I'm just, I guess I should say they, because she and Santa were both in on this. But the point being... That was never the goal. The goal was never torture, kill, destroy. The goal was this needs to line up under the right set of circumstances to prevent the past from paradox, etc. Okay, I'm with it. Whatever, but I'm with it. <laughs> it's okay. I know the next game gets even weirder with the multiple timeline hopping thing. So, what I'm trying to say is that it was a nice bit of gameplay and story integration. That the puzzles were not as horrific or as unfair as it would have been easy to make them. Unfortunately, I don't really have anything else to add about the gameplay. It's puzzles? Uh, I will um, say one thing that amuses me, actually. The, the big, you know, the final boss of the game is a Sudoku puzzle. Uh, anybody who knows me or has watched me regularly knows that I don't really do Sudoku. I'm not a big puzzle person in general. I'm not against them, it's just, it's just not my thing. And so I was playing a game called Mass Effect Andromeda. And I was like, God, what am I supposed to do with this stupid puzzle? And then I assumed, based on the presentation of it, the, what the rules were and what the goal was. And I actually assumed completely wrong, because I don't play Sudoku. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that goes. Um, it, I, I mentioned this because it's amusing to me that I actually had an idea of what the hell I was doing with the Sudoku puzzle in this game because of Mass Effect Andromeda. So that is one positive thing that happened as a result of Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> let's talk about the characters. Um, let's, uh, well, actually, hang on. So I admittedly don't have a lot to say about most of the characters. Like, for example, I, I have just brief notes here about Seven and Lotus. I mean, what do I say about them? Um, there's a going contrary to tropes undercurrent going through it and from what I understand from interviews this was a deliberate thing uh, wanting to present an archetype or excuse me no a stereotype and then subvert it now that kind of works and most of the characters do come across as fleshed out characters I just I just don't have much to talk about them but nevertheless they do come across as fleshed out characters that you get to know and it's like okay yeah the only two that it didn't quite work for me were like I said seven and Lotus seven big you know uh, but he's actually detective Okay, and uh, his his involvement in the first nonary, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, experiment, you know, that makes sense. And uh, Lotus, who is who, who dresses like that and comes across as an eye candy character who is, in fact, a brilliant programmer. In fact, one of the, you know, a, a truly skilled genius level programmer and shows off her stuff throughout the game. Okay, I'm with that. But I don't have anything else to add to both characters. I do want to talk about Ace... But I'm going to save him for last. Ace and Akane both. Uh, let's talk about Junpei, because what I find interesting, he's probably the one uh, aversion of the typical that really works for me. He comes across, initially, you know, the, the, the stereotype as typical male hero. But he's not. Then the second subversion is that he comes across as a total loser. 
you know, like there's there's so many times where it, it, maybe it's just dependent on dialogue options, but I got the impression that he was in a form of obfuscating stupidity coming across as a loser. I don't know how else to put that. But then the real inversion and the thing that really amuses me most about this is that he is neither. He's just a guy. He's just a totally ordinary guy. And I think I like that because it's not that he... So you normally, it would, it would be easy from a writing perspective to make a character who's like, who appears to be, yes, this great heroic man, but the usual subversion of that is someone who comes, who is actually either, you know, a completely selfish bastard or, you know, a total loser. Again, basically the exact opposite of what their initial thing is. But instead, this guy is not the exact opposite. He's just a guy. He's just normal. And I like that. He's he's almost average. And I get the impression, and I was never able to really verify this, uh, and of course I haven't played the later games. I, I know he's present in at least some of them. I got the impression that he's almost ashamed or embarrassed by how normal he is, and so tries to present himself as different. And I know exactly what that feels like. <laughs> Which is actually funny, because that was an unjustified fear I used to have back when I was a teenager. I used to worry about how normal I was. Looking back, I wasn't normal at all. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, oh, God, no. And I was so terrified of admitting that I liked normal things or that I did normal things, you know. So I was like, no, no, I'm this weirdo. I mean, I already had the name going for me, right? Then I want to talk about Snake. Now, Snake is a weird one because he comes across as pompous and smug and i feel like the name was just a little bit too much i mean smug snake come on but uh i did end up actually liking snake especially since he was one of those and not obviously he's paying attention almost any blind character in fiction is someone who has good perception ironically but in his case it was more not just that he was paying attention but they actually gave a damn being someone who had already dealt with the nonary thing again along with his sister and being the kind of person who very much wants to... <sighs> He's not out for himself, I guess is the way I want to put that. He comes across as someone who could easily be a Type 3 villain. And I freely admit that he was one of my big suspects my first playthrough. But him and Ace, actually, uh, and Seven were my three big suspects initially. Ironically, I was wrong about all of them, kind of. But he, when you learn more about him, you learn that he's just a guy who's gone through some crap and doesn't really know who to trust or how, and he knows how this kind of thing goes, so he's willing to bend a little bit more than he probably should in order to deal with that. And that makes sense to me. Which, of course, brings me naturally to Clover. Uh, Clover is probably the most stark, direct contrast. You know, the, the presentation of the, ah, kind of a person who is, in fact... The game doesn't say this outright, I, of course, got the axe ending first time. But, and I've, I've read up on the other endings before you ask. But I always got the impression that she was broken from the beginning. That all the experiences from, oh, God, I forget how long, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago? Yeah, the first nonary experiment, uh, the first nonary game. I always got the impression that she was broken by that experience. And so just kind of shoved a mask of, ah, over her face in order to try and deal with that. And... Depend and it's noteworthy that in virtually every ending, she ends up pretty bad or dead, except the true one. 
the one ending where you managed, and she even has this great line uh, to Junpei where she's like, thank you, you know, for giving me a reason to ki still having hope. Just give me a reason to keep holding on. Because someone like that, in my experience, is someone who's just looking for something. You know, they're, they're, they're not past the despair horizon. They haven't completely shattered, but they're right on that edge and they're just wanting some kind of reason to keep going. And we end up giving that to her in the true ending, and that's awesome. In the axe ending, we fail, and she steps over that line and gets a little axe happy. Hence the name. Uh, Santa. Next character I want to talk about. Santa is interesting to me because... <laughs> I have to admit, I wasn't really sure what was going on with Santa. Because even though he comes across as a bit of a jerk in his dialogue, in the way he holds himself, if you sit back... And I noticed this my first playthrough, I just wasn't sure what to make of it. If you sit back, if you really look at him and what he's doing, he's helpful. Like, he's one of the few characters who's really trying to help out the group, make sure people don't fight too much, make sure we're always trying to solve the problem, you know, because he's got a deadline. I mean, that makes sense, knowing everything. He's got a deadline. As I mentioned before, the story is actually quite well written and very smart in its presentation. You could tell uh, they wrote this, you know, knowing where things were going and then planned it out accordingly, you know, like a proper writer should. So you could tell what he's doing with this. But the first time through, I just thought that was part of his inversion. You know, he's coming across as this kind of, you know, but in fact, he's a really nice guy who just doesn't really know how to interact with other people. I, I figured that was the typical uh, subversion thing. And instead, it turns out that he's in on it all along because he's going along with it for his sister, which, of course, uh, brings me to Ace, the last character I really have to talk about. So... From what I understand, this actually started with the original Titanic, which is already kind of messed up. And then that kind of affected Ace. And by the way, I know these aren't all their real names, except for Clover. Um, these are the names that I kind of got used to playing through the game. These are the names I wrote down. It's hard enough for me to memorize names in general, guys. Give me, give me a break, okay? I'm trying. So, Ace, Mr. Hung, uh, he was already part of this cycle. Of, of, of this messed up game, if you could even call it a game happening. And then he decides to enact his own. But the thing that really weirds me out is he decides to do his to cure, and I'm gonna, I wrote this down so I could pronounce it correctly, uh, prosopagnosia. There we go. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Which, I actually know someone, believe it or not, in real life who has that exact issue. I really do. Um, she's actually a pretty awesome person. I, uh, I haven't talked to her in a while. This is a really... It, it, it's a problem, but it's a relatively minor illness. I mean, it's usually a subset of another far more serious mental illness, which, given that this guy is a, is a mass-murdering psychopath who is willing to taunt a child as she's about to burn to death, yeah, I'd say there's something messed up about that. But the point remaining... His fixation on curing that is probably the one aspect of the story that confuses me and I have no answer for. Maybe someone who knows the series more can, can answer in the comments, and I would, I would love to know, in all honesty, uh, if, if you could pause in between telling me how much I, I suck for doing this rumination. Why? Why he is so fixated on curing what is such a relatively minor disease. This man, I want to make this clear, this man is not just willing to do unethical, horribly, morally 
bankrupt things to cure his disease. His overall goal is basically to develop psychic telepathy or, uh, uh, there's a term for it, uh, sensory transference, basically, in order to try and cure an extremely minor illness. Like, why are you, Why do you jump to that? It's like, it's like you walk into the office, it's like, well, Doc, what's the prognosis? And the Doc says, well, I'm afraid you, uh, you have a stubbed toe. Well, Time to go invent a way to go to parallel dimensions to fix my stub toe. You know, that, that's, that's the impression I got from his overall plan. Why does he go to such insane lengths for this? I, I'm sorry for bragging on this, but this bugged me the whole time. Like, as, as soon as I found out about it, and, and, then I, and then I went reading up to, you know, learn about the other endings and any stuff I missed after my second playthrough, and I'm like, why does he do all this? I don't understand. Um... <laughs> But Ace is a goddamn monster. Uh, it's actually funny. He is probably... I mentioned earlier the stark contrast thing. Honestly, Ace is probably the actually most stark contrast character as far as his subversion. He comes across as warm and helping, and he is a goddamn monster. He is a deranged, mentally ill guy with issues. He doesn't have issues. He has volumes, this guy. I wanted to kill him so badly. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's, I mean, that might be part of my whole protective nature, especially towards children thing, but what the crap. <sighs> but again, what I find really weird about him isn't, isn't the fact that he's this deranged psychopath. I mean, it's, okay, sure, he's, this is basically a murder mystery. You have to have someone who is that mentally ill, and it's not a cane. She has her own issues, but it's she's not really the person who fits the and I hate to parallel this again, but the saw mentality, the saw, the guy saw in in the saw series, you know, or whatever the hell his name was, I don't even remember, but you know, the guy, the guy behind is someone has to fit that parallel. If you're having a story about you know cells and torture and death, someone has to be the person who wants this to happen, who is okay with killing the other uh, the other three executives in order to deal with the whole situation, ensuring Ace even lives in the end, although from what I understand that was a deliberate thing, so that the truth would get out, and, and he having murdered the other executives, revenge is served, etc. But what the hell? But of course, that brings me to a cane. Now, as I was reading up on this, and I, I don't actually need my notes anymore, I don't really have anything else to talk about, as I was reading up on this, one of the things that really jumped out at me was the whole game, Junpei and Akane are like almost blatantly getting getting along, if you know what I mean. Way too obvious flirting and, uh, excuse me, flirting going on there. And a whole lot of subtext between the conversations of the two. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, they have eyes for each other, whatever. Uh, apparently they don't end up together. Like he ends up pining after her for the remainder of his days. That's 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 a hell of a way to end that. I'm not sure what to make of that. It's very anticlimactic and unsatisfying, but I digress. See, now that wouldn't bother me as much. Lord knows I'm not a big fan of romance in my fiction. Except for the fact that the only reason he was able to connect with her in such a direct and personal way across dimensions and time and space, I'm sorry, all three, was because of the strong connection he had with her. So you build a strong bond, and you have a strong emotional connection 
but then the payoff is, and then he pines after her. That's why that bothers me. Why don't, why don't they end up together? For God's sakes, give the give the boy some good good ending. For crying out loud, especially her. She certainly needs it after all she went through. Which of course brings me back to her. I know I haven't really talked about her that much. I don't actually have a lot to say about her uh, in d total detail. I mentioned the dimension thing. I don't want to stress that because obviously, you know, crossing space was one of the big points of the whole. God, what do they call it? It was something like something genetic or something like that. But anyways, uh, the whole experiment that they were going for to begin with, you know, trying to have long distance telepathy. Okay, I'm fine. You know, get the Esper powers going. I'm with it, sure. Um, but they, all, she also gains the ability to perceive the future. You know, connect with someone in the future. Okay, I'm still with it. But. And, and I admit this is kind of clever. I'll, I will give it that, even though I don't like this. It is still clever. I will still give it credit. Each time you're playing the game you're and failing and don't get the true ending, what you're doing is you're playing one of the other timelines, one of the other dimensions, in other words, that she's connecting to. It actually makes perfect sense. This is probably one of the few games where having a walkthrough and doing everything perfectly right makes sense in lore. Because in lore, she's been reaching out to these other dimensions and timelines, trying to, to find the one that actually goes correctly for however long, until finally she finds the one that act, that is actually her own timeline, and thus the one she can connect to, rather than burning to death in the incinerator where Ace watches and laughs. Because he's a monster. I think I mentioned that part. Um, <clears throat> so I'm with that. Dimension hopping, time hopping, uh, space hopping. I'm with it, I'm with it. Don't think it was necessary, but I'm with it. But this is where I want to give the game some more credit because the bit at the end, and I want to visually demonstrate this. I got my phone here, so you know, I'm playing my DS. Actually, you know what? I literally have my 3DS right here. Hang on, <laughs> this is stupid. So I'm playing my 3DS, and I'm like, da -da 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 -da. I will admit it made me grin towards the end when I had to do this. And for those of you who can't tell, I'm holding it upside down in order to really do the final section. That was a nice touch, because the whole point is that the entire time, the en entire point through the game, we've been playing a cane in the past, June, whatever, you know. Um, and then in that last time is the first time that the, the information goes the other way, that we actually are playing him playing her rather than her playing him, hence the inversion. It's a nice touch. I like that. I'm not sure what else to say about her. I mean, obviously she's someone who has some emotional problems and some mental problems. She seems very insistent about ensuring that everything goes exactly the way it did. Because obviously she already saw that. But how much of that is a self-interest and how much of that is, you know, trying to avoid a paradox is certainly questionable. And it gets into that whole where did this come from initially idea. But regardless, there's no denying that she was still totally okay with kidnapping several people killing several people, at least potentially, and a few definitely, and ensuring that a lot of lives were at least messed up as a result of her trying to set this situation right. In other words, I've heard some debate amongst a couple people I talked to about this game that she's not actually a villain, and I disagree. I'm not saying she's completely evil, and again, Ace is the real monster here, and he's not the only one for that matter from what I understand. But I do think she does not merely qualify as an antagonist or a, and a protagonist, because we're playing as her, but she does qualify as a villain. 
because she is still the kind of person who is willing to do basically horrible things in the hope of making sure that things go the way they should. I I do I look at that and I think there's so much more that she could have done under different circumstances to avoid actually putting people in danger. Actually, because so much of the actual puzzles or the design of, of, the, of, the, of the trap is just a little bit too real. And I don't think it really needed to be. But I think she was sufficiently far gone that in her mind, the risk that the lack of real threat might screw things up overweighed loss of human life in her mind. Make sense? I mean, I, I get the logic. I get why she would do it this way. Because she wanted to make sure everything goes exactly the same, and she wanted to replicate the circumstances as exactly as possible, which requires real threats. But that still requires real threats, hence villain. Make sense? You know, a villain is not universally horrible. That's a complete monster. Like Ace, I keep, really needs to be emphasized. And I don't have anything else to say about this game. Uh, I will admit it was interesting to go through. If I have one regret about this game, it's that I just feel like I don't really have a lot to say about it. I do hope you can accept my apology on that, and I do hope you have enjoyed this outsider's perspective, and I'll see you next time.